All right, welcome to the Pitch Stack, episode eight. I am Douglas DeYoung, joined as always by my good friend, Matt Rodriguez. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. And uh, this is going to be the last episode we do before the Pro Tour, which I am extremely excited about. Um, I was about to ask, what? Our last episode, what happened? Our last episode ever. We've been canceled. (laughs) We lost funding. Uh, We'll have to finish it in fanfic. uh, Yeah, this is going to be the last one before the Pro Tour. And I remember back in 2014, 2015, like every other Saturday, once a month, I would just wake up and I would put on the Star City Games or Channel Fireball, Magic Pro Tours, Grand Prix and weekend events. And the coverage was so awesome. And it was so much fun to watch. And uh, that's dead now. And I, uh, I haven't been this excited for an event in a really long time. And I can't wait to just wake up on Friday, turn on the coverage and uh, watch the Pro Tour. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And uh, next week, hopefully, uh, you know, we can time our recording right and we'll know the results. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we may have to delay it, you know, maybe a day. But I think it'd be nice to be able to record right after we know how uh, the, the whole tournament ended. Especially yeah, with the calling like and battle hardened and pro tour on the line out there. Yeah. It's like we're on hour seven of the remembrance life gain Starvo build that is now in the mirror match for the finals. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Remembrance. Right. That'd be wild, man. Yeah, right. So we'll get there. But um, yeah, huge shout out to uh some of our friends that are gonna be in the pro tour to uh Mr. John Owens, Mr. Will Laystrom, an honorary local, Sean Biava, as well as our friend uh, Hasiel Diaz, the luckiest man on earth, winner of the Arsenal Pass weekend getaway sweepstakes. So uh, hopefully <laughs> one of homes. y'all be on coverage so I don't have to like become a fan of somebody I've never heard of before. We have to cheer you guys on. Absolutely. Well, what do you say... We uh, we finish our housekeeping here. We open up the mail. We got a uh, got a couple of viewer questions today. Oh, mail time! Mail time, right? And it's usually just coupons. Uh, so, all right. So our first question, and this is relevant to the pro tour, uh, comes from Mister John Owens, and he's asking uh, once the pro tour is over. Like, obviously, I I think everybody's just. At a point where no matter what happens, we're all convinced Starvo will get LL somehow. What do you think the new meta is going to look like? Hmm. Well, it kind of depends. I mean, if Starvo doesn't win uh, Pro Tour, it looks like we're going to have to see a lot more Starvo moving forward um, into Pro Quest season. Oh, too. yeah. Uh, I I have a feeling and it's over, (laughs) right? I don't know. I have a feeling. um, I have a feeling we may. uh, It's not the last we'll see of Starvo, to be honest. I have feeling uh, that Prism, as we've we've definitely discussed over and over, is like one of the, if not the strongest hero in the game at this very moment. Uh, And Shane, with one of the highest ceilings in the game, to really have a shot at cracking not cracking this meta he's always been very strong but you know uh have a shot at taking home those living legend points instead of either or the other two which is kind of odd that uh shane kind of hung in the background of a uh, pro quest season uh the first pro quest season and then now after that he's you know not that he was never played or never topped but he's kind of making his emergence as this big baddie that he's gonna take over you know yeah absolutely and i it's really interesting to me, right? Because Chain is, in my opinion, the only deck in the meta right now that can consistently beat Starvo and Prism. Um, I mean, the, not necessarily that those matchups are extremely favorable either way, but it's not like uh, Chain really doesn't have any auto losses right now in the current meta. And maybe that's why he's so good. Like, obviously, I mean, Chain going into a traditional Guardian isn't great because the exhaustion game is very easy. But, um, with Prism absolutely shutting down the ability to play traditional Guardian right now, 
Um, it looks like the path is like nice and clear for Chain. Um, so I don't know. I think I think if Starvo disappears, though, I think Prism drops out of the meta a little bit because uh, Prism's ability to prey on any of the three Guardian decks is kind of what keeps Prism in the meta. And I mean, without without like a premier Guardian <laughs> deck happening. Like, uh, she's going to keep the other two out of the meta. Like, don't even play them for any reason. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're back to a weird Runeblade meta with Chain Briar again, where just, you know, wide decks that are hard to deal with are yeah, the way I to mean, go. Briar for sure will come back, especially to keep the Prism, uh, you know, out of control. But I think Prism still is, like, she really holds the throne right now, I think, in terms of, like, one of the heroes with the highest uh, win percentage against a lot of different heroes. Um, maybe she didn't perform great against Starvo, and if Starvo takes it, I think we may see, uh, you know, we may see a lot more aggro come out of the bushes, but at the same time, uh, Prism is also capable of taking those decks headfirst and winning. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's tough. I definitely feel more comfortable uh, playing against uh, Prism with an aggressive deck than I do with a control deck like uh, Bravo you know, one attack yeah. a turn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this prism is just going to overwhelm you. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think the meta shifts away from prism because, uh, I mean, Starvo is keeping all the decks that beat prism out. And prism is the only deck that can really beat Starvo at a 50-50 win rate. I mean, Chain's getting there, but it's not quite as great as you would hope. And so, yeah, I don't know what this meta is going to look like, but I'd imagine it clears the way for a lot more aggro decks to show up. Yeah, that's for sure. I think we will may see Katsu come back out. Um, I'm not really familiar with uh, Ninja in terms of its play into Prism, but... Uh, it's really it's pretty good against Prism. Okay. Well, then I... I with three attacks, then pop an aura. Yeah. Then I feel like they'll probably... Uh, come back into the meadow that'd be great you know katsu's kind of been left out on the side yeah all right so our next question and uh this one's pretty interesting and it can get a little in depth if we let it but angel is asking uh how do we rank the classes in general and so the way i did this was i um i just ranked the classes i ignored talents this yes um yes and so i was just trying to rank all nine classes <laughs> and uh this ended up being a little bit more difficult than i thought it would be so you're talking about ranger runeblade wizard brew guardian ninja warrior merchant and illusionist right well i, I acknowledge this as a talent <laughs> much like everybody i ignored merchant but making all this is a talent though i'm just kidding <laughs> all right the talent truthers, they're out there. Uh, well, so in that case, Merchant's at 10. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Um, what about Shapeshifter? Oh, yeah. Shapeshifter is probably unviable at the current CC meta. Uh, <laughs> it's only yes. young Shapeshifter. I, uh, I don't know. So, like, obviously the top three, I would say one Guardian, two Runeblade. And then three is probably illusionist. And then from there, I kind of have a difficult time. Like I would say maybe four is mechanologist. Five brute. Interesting. I think four is like, uh, four is maybe, uh, oh, damn, it's hard for now. I'm nice. Now I was going to make a statement, but now I don't know. Right. It's very hard to commit to it, but I feel like my answer might be something along the lines of, uh, brute Four is brute. I'm, I'm debating between brute and warrior. Yeah, right. I mean, I it's weird too because once you get past the first three, I feel like, um, and especially when we're ignoring talent, it's kind of like a tie between mechanologist, brute, ranger, wizard, warrior, and ninja because, like, any given day, one of those decks can show up as a rogue deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obviously, if we're ranking heroes, there's incredibly weak heroes, but like within ranger, like Lexi's not bad at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, if we're doing heroes, this becomes a much easier conversation. Um, no, we're just doing classes overall classes. Like, if we include their entire card pool in the 
abilities and equipments, then I agree. That's definitely going to be the same order. Guardian, uh, Runeblade, and uh, Illusionist. But then, um, yeah, I think my top eight... <laughs> then it becomes top, arbitrary. Yeah, my top nine <laughs> is going to be four is... Brute. Just go with your heart. Five is Mechanologist. Six... Five is... Uh, Five is Mechanologist, six is Ninja. Dang. Yeah, I don't feel like putting Warrior and Kano that low or Ranger either. I mean, Ranger probably has to be the bottom, sadly. Um, but maybe I'm ranking Brute a little too high. Yeah, right? Because Levy is that bad, just like Azalea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first three stay the same. Four is probably uh mechanologist this is this is my final answer is four is mechanologist <laughs> uh five is ninja six is uh warrior seven is wizard eight is uh or nine is oh, did i skip one? Oh, uh seven is brute eight is warrior nine is uh ranger nice okay yeah it's weird because it just kind of like all you know there's a class for everybody in that third tier uh yeah. once you get off the meta I'm still committed to working, workshopping uh, Azalea to actually win, win stuff, but we'll see. I've been off of it for a little bit to focus on fixing Viscerai after the ban, and it's been really rough. It's been really sad. Uh, yeah. You know, very a like lot, lot of disappointment in both yeah, aspects. Right. I, um, I don't know. I've been putting Viscerai together because it's just a fun deck. Um, I mean, I think it's... I mean, we'll see if he pops up again in the next meta, but obviously it's going to be a little bit before Runeblade gets more cards. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, Maybe we'll have to wait for the next supplemental set. Yeah, right. In uh, roughly October, I think they said. So we'll Damn. see. Some ways away. Yeah. Well, with all that said, uh, what do you say we get to the intro? And we'll be back with more topics. Sounds good. You're listening to the Pitch Stack Podcast. All right, and we're back. Um, so, Matt, here's what I've been doing this week. Uh, I've been getting into deck building mode um, because I am anticipating a meta shift. Sweet. And in doing so, I've been organizing my entire fab collection, um, which uh, started out as an easy task. But then uh, a couple hours into it, I realized I needed to develop a system. So what's your uh, method? Yeah. What's your method of organizing your cards? Because mine's chaotic as hell. <laughs> right. So, OK, so here's what I did was I, I took a 3,200 count box and I made a section for every single hero. And uh, I did rares in red, blue, yellow, alphabetical order for each class. And then commons. Uh, so at rares, I didn't put a limit on how many went in. And then commons, it was a maximum of six per card per color strip. Okay. So a maximum of 18 per card set. And I did those in red, yellow, blue, color order for each class alphabetized. Um, and this took significantly longer than I thought it would. Uh, so and then what like I it. did, what I did was I took all my foils uh, for commons and rares and I just put them in an old like magic binder that I didn't have any cards sitting in. So that way, like, like if I quickly needed like Runeblade foils, okay, that's these three pages. Like I'll throw those in my deck or whatever. I did that for all those. And then everything super rare and above goes in my main collection binder. And uh, weirdly enough, it, uh, it took a while uh, because I, I would just, <laughs> I just had like cards laying in piles, just like I'm sure like 95% of us do. Um, it took a really long time, but I got there. And uh, now I have a whole library of cards to easily build decks out of. And now every time I buy a pack, it's homework. So, oh, man, that's the <laughs> problem is my 
the issue with the average uh, trading card game player is that, you know, they buy some cards, they buy a box, they buy some packs, whatever it is. They crack them open. They might pull out the rares to throw in their decks or their binder. And then the extra rares, the extra cards get put in a little stack with the rest of them and put on the table. Right. Like, I'll sort that later. That's usually what you say. Absolutely. And then this happens 10 more times and you've got 10 more several stacks of cards. And then this occurs for an extended period of time. And you just have now mountains of cardboard that you've just hurriedly thrown into boxes because you realize you don't have space to organize or time to organize things. So then you just have, it just, it becomes a huge mess of like unorganized boxes that you have to sift through and then stacks on tables of mixed cards from sets and tokens (laughs) and rare foils and like random cards you just didn't sort through and has majestics in there sometimes. And it's just like, it's chaos. Absolute chaos. So I respect anyone who sits down and does the homework of when they get home, all their packs get sorted that they opened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or whoever opens their boxes and sorts them as they open their packs is like, you know, equivalent to like a Tibetan monk of patience and control. Absolutely. You know, and I feel like that's what I so that's what I had to do. Uh, And what happens is you end up attaching such a negative stigma to opening packs that like forces you to buy signals or singles because you're like now every time i buy a pack it takes 15 minutes you know for me to like get to the slot and everything and put it where it belongs so you're just like but i could buy a single and that (laughs) saves so much time and money so you end up like conditioning yourself to not buy packs and i'm sure that'll happen to me eventually but not this week because i bought a box of history pack one. <laughs> oh, how was that that just came out yeah uh so it was kind of cool um at first i was like i mean i was looking at my polls and it was i felt like this is not great um i got the box for 120 which isn't bad at all because uh, they are 36 pack boxes not 24 wow. um and uh, I, I didn't get any of the big money hits, but I did get cards I needed. Like I needed a Dread Triptych. Uh, I needed some other stuff. I got my I got the white bordered Dory token, which is something I wanted really bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I got a lot of weird stuff. And then like uh, I see people online, they're averaging 12 Majestics slash Mega Rares per box. And uh, I did I did hit 12. Um, I got a lot of Azalea staples. That was oh, great. That was exciting. I got a red in the ledger, a three of a kind. Um, I don't know. It was weird, you know, though. I find this weird. Just a random, uh, well, not off topic, but it's a little aside, is that for class that's so underplayed and like apparently not good, Azalea's cards are a little expensive. Yeah. It's, it's because odd. It's very odd. It's because there's just there's ranger people, right? And it's like every single game they play, ranger, bow and arrow. It's like World of Warcraft, ranger. Like uh, like any any divinity game, ranged class. Like they just go for it. And I think, and everybody knows a couple of people like this, where they're just like constantly picking up Lexi or Azalea staples, and they're like, it's gonna be so good in the future. And I feel like that is what's keeping cards like three of a kind and like. Red, I mean, Red and Ledger's not all that expensive, but like New Horizons, like $180. Like, yeah. <laughs> Remorseless is still 20 something, I bet. Yeah. It's weird. Um, just like pure popularity alone. Because, I mean, you look at like other cards that are objectively good at decks that are slightly better, like, uh, like Glint, Glint the Quicksilver, right? Is a $12 card. And that's like a phenomenal majestic. I thought it was um, less, to be honest. It might be. It might be down to like eight or nine bucks now. Um, but like if you look at that and compare it to any of these Ranger staples, it's just weird. Right. I don't get it. So, yeah, so I have like three hours of sorting to do now. So that's long story short. HP one <laughs> is cool, though. It's interesting to have like the white bordered cards, especially if you've been playing magic for any mm-hmm. like period of time. You come across those white bordered cards. Uh and it's weird to open them from a pack is a very strange feeling. So there's something, though, I just would like to say about history pack one. It's kind of disappointed me 
um, in terms of, I guess, LSS's vision for the product and their their idea for it in terms of helping newer players. And the from what I've seen in streams of people opening it and your experience and John's experience, I do not like that the legendary pull rate is about the same as it's always been. Yeah, it if does not, seem if, that way. If not, if you if not worse because it is more packs per box and it's still four box per case. So if you're opening a case and you're only getting like two legendaries, that is not good. That's like two extra boxes. That's six boxes, two legendaries. Yeah, I think it's one one in eighty packs is what I want to say. They said the pull rate is for legendaries on this. Which, I mean, I've, uh, seen, I've seen variants, like tons of variants in that department. Absolutely. I really wish it was a little better, like one in two, like one in two boxes, like if not even more, like one per box. Like this is a product designed for with reprints in mind. We we there's no credence to the old product. You know, it's white border. There's no foil. This is just down, dirty, affordable white border cards. And I have no, I see no reason to underprint the product as they did. And then and t- and also not include more legendaries. That's fair. I mean, what they ended up including nine, right? One right. for each of the eight first classes plus tunic. Well, not not more legendaries in terms of like the available legendaries. In oh terms yeah, of I know, I know what you mean. Just in terms of like the hits, pull rate. Yeah, yeah, pull rate. Um. So real quick, <clears throat> let me look at these legendaries that are within it, and everything seems to be right around, if not slightly lower than its black border foil price. Uh, like grass with the arc knight and white border is one hundred sixty. Scabskin leather is one ten. Tectonic plating is at 200, but I'm sure that's just because there's only one listing. Skullbone cross wrap, uh, 28 bucks. So that's not bad. But I will say, I think legendaries aside, History Pack has accomplished what they set it out to do because you can go on TCG Player right now as we're recording this on May 8th and get a Command and Conquer for 50 bucks, which is I mean, not that bad. is good. That is good. If the objective was to lower the price of Command and Conquer, by God, they've done it. They God, did it by for thirty five dollars yesterday. They did it by announcing the product. I think shot down thirty dollars. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. It's weird too because Command and Conquer is not. I mean, it's a very good card. It's just not. It's not entirely a meta card right now. You know, that's also weird. Yeah, I mean, uh, they should charge a premium though for white border uh, scapskins. Yeah, just get the. I did get a Reinar token. I was pretty excited about that. Um, so yeah, I don't know the the Dory token white border looks awesome though. I'm pretty pretty stoked on that. Uh, so I don't know. I gotta I gotta like go through my polls again because I like I opened it inside of my LGS and I like uh, set all the majestics to the side and I didn't really like go through everything to take a look and see mm-hmm. like how many bucks or like the overall value, but I do feel like I didn't come anywhere close to $120. Just looking looking at the cards I grabbed. I think the most expensive card I got was a Tome of Fyandal. Um, And then I got a Dread Triptych and a Three of a Kind. And so if you combine the value of all three of those, it's uh, it's about $30. Um, I think if I go through all my Majestics, I think I pulled about $70 worth of value out of everything, which is not ideal. So we'll see. Not quite. We will see. And that that said, organize your <laughs> organize your cards and buy singles. Don't be like me. Don't give yourself homework. Um, yeah, buying singles honestly is always the way to go. And I mean, you save a lot of money. It's fun. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> you know, it's sometimes tough though when it's not a big game like Magic, where you can just walk up to your store and they have like, you know, millions of singles for the game. Yeah, you have to kind of true. like search for these. Uh, flesh and blood deals you know yeah and they take forever to get to your house because there's no like um there's no main place to get fab singles you know right i mean i've gotten them on facebook before same yeah i actually i actually bought some cold foils off facebook this week um oh what did you get so i needed one more set to complete my illusionists uh the blue illusionist auras i needed one more of each uh, to complete my set of three. So this guy puts them up for like a really good price. And I was like, that's nuts. I was like, who's selling these for this low? That's ridiculous. So I messaged the guy, right? And uh, 
I wanted 80 bucks for the set of three, which is really good. Um, at the time of recording this, it might not be in the future, but, uh, so he, I was like, Hey, I was like, I was like, 80 sounds good to me. I was like, will you do goods and services via PayPal? And he's like, he's like, I'd prefer F and F for tax status or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. And so I think for a second, I messaged him <laughs> back and I was like, okay, I'll eat the G and S if you'll do G and S. And the guy responds, he's like, he's like, here, I'm mowing my lawn right now. Let me message you back when I'm done. Now, I think most people would have gotten sketched out at this point. But I say to myself, if you can't trust somebody who mows their own lawn, then who can you trust? So I friends and family, the, uh, the cash over cards are at my house in two days. So trust people that mow lawns. That's, oh, there that's you go. the moral of the story. I don't know. There's something very like I could hear like Hank Hill's voice in my head. That's like, well, if you can't trust somebody who mows their own lawn, who can you? You should trust? have asked him for a picture of the lawn. Yeah, right. Proof. Just to confirm it wasn't a fake lawn. Oh yeah, just by saying this now, I've created a whole new scam of fake lawn mowers. Damn. <laughs> Selling really stock images up. of mown mown freshly cut grass. Yeah, right. That's the key is like you can tell it's real if it's like a uh, it's the self-assured nod at the lawn. Like if it's people smiling, stock image. It's like, I don't know. No one's smiling, cutting their grass. I promise. Exactly. So with that said, uh, History Pack 1 does, in fact, mark the beginning of Fab 2.0. And um Obviously, Fab 2.0 amongst investors has been met with a lot of controversy. Um, and so when we talk about investors, you have to talk about the alpha investor, uh, Rudy, and what happened with his Patreon this week and Monarch First Edition boxes is fascinating. So what exactly happened? Because... I am in his Patreon, but I have ignored most of his uh, postings just out of like having no money to spend. So I kind of got yeah, right. tempted into it. Um, <laughs> That's fair. But also, I wasn't one of his initial uh, buyers for the Monarch uh, kit. So I had no way to even purchase it if I wanted to. So uh, I kind of just ignored it. So yeah. what exactly uh, happened? Okay, so originally one year ago, if you were part of Rudy's Patreon and um, you bought a box of first edition Monarch from him when it got released uh, for $999, so just a hair short of a thousand, you got a case of first edition Monarch, the playmat, and a set of cold foil promos. Obviously now, with a box of first edition Monarch being worth closer to $150, um, mm -hmm. We uh, we see that that was an extreme, like uh, extremely high ask. And I feel like and so basically Rudy put out a video saying that when I charge that, I assume the print run would be closer to Crucible War is like obviously uh, Card Shop Live Channel Fireball were hoarding boxes of this to slow yeah. release, even though they were saying there was super limited supply. They knew what was up. And um. And Rudy was going based off of that data. So what he did was, if you were a member of his Patreon and you bought one of those boxes for $1,000, he had a deal where you could get cases of Monarch this week. Um, a case of Unlimited you could get for $120 or a case of First Edition you could get for $400. And basically, his idea was to sell these at a loss so that way, if you were a Patreon, you could get fair value. So if you're a Patreon, you end up spending $1,400 on the two first edition cases because you can only get one. Um, so you get eight boxes at $150 a box. That comes out to about uh, $1,200 plus the playmat selling for $300 plus the promos. So I guess that was like his way of saying, I'm making good on this. Yeah. So it's wow. kind of interesting to see... And especially Rudy said this was the first time in seven years that he felt bad about the price he sold something at, which is very fascinating to think about. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of crazy, though, the the huge shift from what happened with Monarch. I think it's the kind of the fab one and a half uh, era was really the problematic thing that uh, caused this huge shockwave of, uh, you know, reduction in value and distrust in the product. 
Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is, uh, I think a lot of it is just that, you know, Card Shop Live is capable of selling card or is like just selling boxes and cards. It's so much cheaper than anybody else uh, because they get this print run data based on like the amount they're ordering. Yeah. And then you get into like, you get into these weird, you get it. So, and I've seen this be kind of controversial. So basically they do these things where they bundle boxes together where you can get like one of each set for 400 bucks or whatever. I saw that. I did not like that. Well, so, and what sucks is the way they do the accounting for it, right? Is basically like a, one or two of those boxes are essentially free add-ins. So that way they're not breaking map on the boxes that still have map. Yeah. The ones that have rolled out and that's how they stay within it. And I see like, like, I don't know, like so many stores can't compete with that. And I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously that's just, you know, that's just how capitalism works. Like, you know, if you can buy a larger quantity, you can sell at a lower price because you're making it back in the margins. But the, um, the idea being that they have privileged information to do this on top of like LSS being so strict with every other game store that's significantly smaller. Mm-hmm. I feel like Card Shop Live is leaving a bad taste in a lot the, of people's mouths right now. The problem is that Card Shop Live is not the company that has an agreement and a partnership with LSS. Channel Fireball is the company that does. Oh, so they're just using it as like their online shell company? Yes. It's not like a DBA. I mean, they, they've totally announced, they've totally admitted that it is, but like, you know, they're like, we are, uh, uh, what is it? Powered by Channel Fireball, right? Interesting. Oh, yeah, because they're so technically they a have, place. Right, right. So, like, you and me could open up, like, we don't have to have an LSS distributor, whatever license. We could open up a TCG player store and start selling everything below map. All our, all our, uh, box, if we had physical boxes to sell, we could sell them all below map. And sell promos. Oh, we're not going nothing. through a distributor, right? Okay. And we're not, but we're also not partnered with LSS, and we're not receiving these things from them. You know what I mean? Yeah, they can't really hurt us because we're not. You know, we're, we're a company that's not affiliated with them. No, Channel Fireball went and sold themselves directly those products at that price. They couldn't do it, so they actually have ads running for another game, My Hero Academia Universus fighting system, right? Um they have the juice product coming out for that game on channel fireball for like over a hundred bucks. But of course, Card Shop live has it for $88 before street date. Interesting. Well, that's not great. So that's why they've been able to go under uh, map for all the flesh and blood stuff. Yeah. But what I don't like additionally, not just that, that uh, pricing thing where they give you two boxes free, that, that whole thing is problematic because uh, we all know that the distribution of like the cases, uh, if we've opened a box from a case and you get a legendary, the chances that the other two are much, the other two have uh, legendaries are much slimmer. So you can just Absolutely. open up cases, right? Get op- for each individual uh, case, open boxes till you hit a legendary, put the rest in a pile. Then you saw the pile in this cool kit right for uh some price right they did the same thing for booster packs right they're like 54.99 gets you a box worth of every booster pack in the game you get like i don't know four from each set i think it's yeah. the number it's a four six yeah well, especially you six can sets. like weigh out cold foils too with first edition which is great right so like they ended up doing what it was like the unlimited for the first uh four products and then uh first edition tales first edition uh Everfest, all fifty four ninety nine, and uh, they they could just open a, a box and weigh out all the packs, grab all the good stuff, and then just put all the leftover packs or open packs. They could just do it opening packs. They don't have to weigh them. Open packs until you get a good one, right? Your legendary or your foil equipment, right? And then just set all the packs aside, and then move on to the next box. Keep doing this to amass like some insane amount of packs, and then you just do this. Then you do this deal. So you got to sell yeah. off all the shaft for fifty four ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, it's it's and terrible. I mean, 
What's crazy too is like even I mean like I, weighing all the packs sounds like like crazy busy work, but you can actually do it in five measurements, which is nuts. Um, like you weigh out the four stacks of six, you see which stack is the heaviest. Then you weigh out two stacks of three, you see which one's the heaviest. And then you only need to weigh three booster packs. So like within six quick measurements, you can quickly determine where cold foils are. And so if they're doing this, like you really only need two employees doing this, and you can filter through all your booster packs incredibly quickly. And I don't like, obviously, they're probably not doing this. You know what I mean? Like they did that for a limited amount of time. But there does come with like not buying from your LGS has like downsides with this game for that exact reason. And I've never pulled a legendary out of a box that I haven't bought at an LGS. Uh, and I mean, that's a very small sample size. Like I'm sure plenty of people have, but that's just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, right? Like there's too much room for error, I guess. Absolutely. So I don't know. So it doesn't sit well with me. I don't know what you do to fix it. I think it's just going to be part of the game until the game gets large enough where there's multiple distributors competing uh, for this large of a share. And um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's problematic in a lot of ways, but it's, it's also been good for some people, you know. Uh, and there's a lot of people who just couldn't afford or didn't want to spend too much money or wanted to save a little bit of money. But I say to them as well, you know, or the, or rather, I'm sorry, the more likely case is that some people don't have uh, LGSs in their area to buy from. Right. Yeah. So they get ads on their Facebook for Hotshot Live and they, well, they're like, oh, what a great deal. Right. They're giving away free boxes, giving away free, uh, you know, gradings of cards. They're doing a lot of stuff. So it's kind of like, well, how can I say no? You know, and I kind of don't blame them. But at the same time, like, you know, if I can if I can afford to make an effort to spend an extra ten dollars on a product or fifteen dollars on a product at my LGS, I will. You know, yeah. Now that we know all this stuff about Car Shop Live. Well, you also like um, I don't want to turn into like a shill or whatever, but you also see this argument for Rudy's Patreon, like even though it's expensive and you're like you're paying MSRP for everything, you're getting like sealed cases from somebody who's like social reputation hinges on not messing with them. You know what I mean? Right. So you get the idea of like a trusted seller. And I guess that's where a lot of people who buy cases, um, why they go through alpha investments instead of other places, which I guess this adds to why Rudy would be in a position where he would like, I'm going to take an L on this because I need to maintain a, rep- a reputation as a trusted seller, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only problem with that is that his Patreon is uh, limited and it rarely ever opens. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, like, I mean, if, if if it was always open, everyone would definitely be on it because he sells things at like losses almost. Yeah, it's like Costco. Yeah, he's <laughs> the Costco. Trading cards. <laughs> he's the Costco of TCGs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Oh man, so. All that said, Fab 2.0, as we're recording this, um, we got some weird, blurry spoilers for, uh, for a little dual decks action. Uh, what are the classic battles? I'm going to call them dual decks. I've been playing Magic the Gathering for yeah. 15 years or whatever. I'm going to call them dual decks, even though Magic doesn't have dual decks anymore. Somebody needs to have dual decks, and maybe I'm inventing them. But yeah, dual decks. Uh, we got some spoilers Dory versus Reinar. They're incredibly blurry. None of them are all that exciting except for one, and it's the blurriest of all of them. But uh, Matt, <laughs> yeah. what do you think? I think we're looking at a new kind of bobble. Yeah, maybe less cracked, but more cracked in the way the kids are saying it. Cracked. <laughs> yeah, it is a... Uh... It well, it appears so. Essentially, what happened is that um, a Kiwi uh, news, uh, I guess, distributor or uh, distributor, what a word to associate with the news. Um, a Kiwi news uh, site, right? Uh, what was it called? I think it was just called stuff. Stuff, yeah. Uh, they did a. It's <laughs> <laughs> called stuff. Stuff did a uh, a quick article on Flesh and Blood and interviewed James White. And in the interview, it's a video interview, 30 seconds. And um, it's like a minute, maybe. And in the video, he's playing across uh, the 
interviewer James White um, with I uh, stomped him probably <laughs> with uh, the dual decks essentially, um, and we could see we can make out some certain cards because it was a little blurry, you know, with the high focus camera and stuff. But we, there are some cards that were made out um, from the video. Uh, we saw Dawn Blade Resplendent, but it was very hard to read because it was across the table. Um, you know, the brute player had come to fight and like some wrecking romps in their hand, but you could see that there's a uh, Dawn Blade Resplendent with what looks like three power, one cost attack, and a uh, and a triggered ability with a plus one counter symbol. So we don't know what it does exactly. Um, definitely different because Dawn Blade Original has two lines of text. This one only has one, which yeah. uh, should be interesting. But uh, yeah. the other cards we've seen um, were a was a brute attack wrecking ball, which yeah. it seems so bad. But it's a three <laughs> cost, no block, red pitch, six attack, and draw a card, discard a random card, and then if you discard a power six or greater, it gains intimidate. Yeah. So the three cost is pretty high. Doesn't seem that great, but however, pretty good for new players, I think. Well, we did find out that um, this new this new Reinar is just new art. It is the old young Reinar. Really? Um, you can see in one or two frames that it's just Reinar in the title. He still <laughs> has the discard six intimidate ability. Um, but what's interesting is I guess like intimidate twice seems pretty good in a dual decks scenario, you know? Okay, like low power that. level. That's true. Because you get it gains intimidate. When you discard it, it gets intimidate. So almost any time that's being triggered, it's a intimidate twice, you know? Yeah. No, that's not bad at all. Yeah. So I yeah, I hadn't considered that either once until I realized. And then we saw the new brute weapon, which is just a uh, four power, two cost attack. I think it's called Bone Crusher. Really? Um, I didn't see that. I must have missed it. It was really unnotable because it's just like a vanilla weapon just <laughs> sitting next to like old Reinar. Um, but the new crack bobble is interesting. If it is a crack bobble, there's no cost in the upper right hand corner. There is a defense value in the lower right hand corner. And it appears to be a blue pitch. So um, maybe it's just a test card because I could see. I feel like James White's been too nice and I'd like to see. I feel like it's really on brand for him just to like recently just like troll us with a card like that. Like he's not going to troll us with like something high powered that like influences the market. But he'd be like a blue crack bobble that blocks like that's hilarious. So maybe that would be pretty funny. I mean, I could see them doing something like that um, in the future because I mean, I think crack bobble as it is, is very punishing. I mean, of course, that that is the, the point, right? Yeah, uh, to not have drafted correctly, but also, I mean, sometimes you just get punished and sealed, like just opening just terrible pulls. But um, I don't know. I feel like there's a better way to go about, you know, adding in just these generic uh, cards that help fill your deck up. And instead of drawing cards that don't block, you draw cards that actually do block at the very least. You know, maybe pitching for blues a bit much. Pitching for yellows a a fine in between spot. But I would rather Cracked Bobbles pitch for yellow and block for two. I mean, at, at least block for one. One yeah. something. I don't know, so I had an idea, right? Because I was thinking about Cracked Bobbles a lot this week uh, because I was sorting a large pile of them. And, uh, and so, I don't know, I had this idea of like, it'd be kind of interesting. And it, it was weird because immediately when I had the idea, I felt like it was terrible and unbalanced. But then like, as I thought about it more, I was like, oh, it's actually balanced really well. What if they were to print a merchant and the ability, and he was like, a, I don't know, like a trinket collector, right? And his thing was, whenever you pitch a bobble to pay a cost, you draw a card. And huh. originally I was like, that's insane card advantage. But then I was like, wait, you have to have a reasonable amount of bobbles in your deck versus like actual spells because you need to be able to pay costs. I don't know. It'd be interesting for them to give it a PVE use. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, though, that you would need to have something to play to pitch the bobble, though. Yeah, right? It nerfs it right out of the bat. That's why I think it's perfect. Hmm. What if it's a fabled? 
Nah. <laughs> Unsleeved Fabled. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, Fabled, Fabled Gems, pitch for blue. I mean, yeah, didn't right. look foil to me, though. Yeah, it didn't look... I mean, none of those cards look foil to me. I'm she, I mean, like, I'm sure the Reinar was cold foil, but uh, it's hard to say. With the... Everything was like... I'm sure they did it on purpose with everything being out of focus when they did this news article. Um, for stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was pretty interesting uh, to look through. And we see a couple cards that are like within the, uh, you know, I don't know. It's I'm pretty excited for this set. And I'm hoping that there's like, I'm hoping there's not like a chase card in there where you need to buy three of them. I think they're going to actively avoid doing that. Yeah, hopefully. it seems to be powered that way. It seems to be powered in such a way that no one's not really going to want to play with these cards. I mean... I don't know. It could just one day be good, you know, but uh, I don't I don't see these cards pushing uh, pushing the meta at all in any way. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. maybe the equipment will be cool. So oh, that that's one thing we're hoping, hopefully looking forward to. But uh, in terms of equipment as well, something else came up in terms of spoilers. So uh, the prizes for Pro Tour Lille or Lille, uh Apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah, I have no uh, idea. That was just announced. Pro Tour Lie. I'm going to go with that. It sounds super fancy. Um, Crown of Providence gold foil in a PTI is listed as the pro, is listed as the prize for the champion of that tournament, along with seven thousand USD. What's a Crown of Providence? Yeah, right. I hope it's a. I hope it's a real crown. That's. I mean, I'm sure it'll be. Uh, I mean, in, uh, I'm sure it's a legendary from Uprising. Like it has to be, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they always do generic cold gold foils for pricing of the very largest tournaments they have. So it would make sense that this is the generic from Uprising, the legendary generic. Yeah. Well, so have they have they announced what the uh, is it is it a is it a tunic for uh, Pro Tour New Jersey first place or the is very the last retired? Tunic. The very last tunic, correct. It is. So this crown must be, it must be fire, right? Like, because they knew the tunic was just like one of the best cards they ever printed. And maybe it's also generic uh, if they're going to be putting it in this scenario. I mean, I'm hoping it is considering it's considering the skull cap and the tunic have both been uh, gold foil prizes. I think, I mean, I think immediately, like, ninjas don't wear crowns. Like, that's intrinsic to being a ninja. I think that's a thing. Uh, So it It has to be an an illusionist or a wizard card if it is class-based. But I don't think it is. I wonder, and that's interesting, too. Like, if they're printing another legendary generic headpiece to immediately step up and compete with Skullcap, like, what? Better be cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I... It's odd because the last uh, time we had one printed brand new was Arcane Rising. You know, yeah, um, yeah. The, it's been well, two sets since over have two been years. Talent focused sets, so they've had to flesh out the talents in each of the sets and make sure they each had a legendary to appropriately uh, represent them. You know, Shadow Light each have an equipment warrior and. Uh, what was it? it was warrior and uh illusionist each have their legendary equipment and then there was the uh the legendary specializations for the shadow heroes right and yeah. then uh aria we had one for each element and then one for each class got a legendary so it's i think the pattern's always going to be six legendaries per set and that's what we're looking at again once more with uprising so what do we have in Uprising? We have a Wizard, we have a Ninja, an Illusionist, that's three, okay. Then we have Draconic and Ice, that's two. Yeah. So I think we have a, we finally are coming back to a generic Legendary. Unless, of course, as people think their conspiracy theories may come true, is that there's a fourth uh, hero that we don't know about, which I doubt. But it could be cool. It could be cool. It's a box topper. Uh- <laughs> It's yeah, interesting, I mean, too, because I guess this isn't actually... So this is for the accompanying calling and not the Pro Tour, which is interesting. Um, is it? Really? Although, I didn't pay attention. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a difference because traditionally callings have also had either the skull cap or the tunic as a prize. Yes. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be cool. <laughs> I, you know, what's also interesting, right? Is I know it's a gold cold foil, but it'd be cool if it's a gold cold foil of a Marvel extended art. So it's just like they're going deep down the rabbit hole of coolness. Make oh, it be super sick. unusual. That'd be so sick. Right? Oh, right on. I'm excited for that. Um, so let's see. I think we had we had two other events in the world of flesh and blood this week. Uh, yes. The first is Judge Hub has been launched. Um, and uh, man, have I gotten a lot of emails uh, because <laughs> of their weird notification settings. However, it's really good for all their judge stuff to now be conglomerated in one area when it was previously like on a very loose discord. Um, yeah, I wasn't even in the discord prior. Yeah, yeah, you used to like there was the discord and then you would go and you would find uh, there was like this little thing on the side where it was like uh, it was like people were looking for event staffing and then you would click on it. And then you would have to like scroll for a while and see if anybody near you was like trying to staff anything for judges. And then you would send in like a Google Forms application. And now it's all like uh, now just like my profile on there is like my application. You know, it's got every event I've ever judged, like my level, everything. Because um, I am flesh and blood judge. I don't think I brought that up at any point. I know I brought up being a magic judge like a thousand times. Yeah, um, I think we have brought up the fact that you were a flesh and blood judge quite oh. a few times. <laughs> well now we brought it up again and uh and we're gonna bring it up a third time because i'm now not the only flesh and blood judge here Woo! Uh, level zero right. let's go matt, and then next matt week. is now tournament organizer level zero fab judge um let's go. only a step away from entering the grand halls of the roughly 90 people that are judges in north america Got to be within the first hundred. Let's let's go. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, next week I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the material this week and next week. Hopefully, uh, we'll get that done. Maybe by next yeah. episode, we'll see. Yeah, Level right. One I, judge. Yeah, the test was weird. As somebody who's a magic judge, taking the fat, it was very different. I don't know how else to describe it without giving too much away, but it was not what I expected. Fair, fair. I felt like I was taking the bar more than I was like a test. I like that. Yeah, I, I, I hear that it's a very scenario based uh, test. Yeah. Where there are like multiple correct answers. Yeah. You got to figure out what's the most correct. Or rather the most correct answer. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's weird. Yeah. I don't, it's kind of cool to have it like that. Right. Um, I and then. So I feel like you can explain this blunder that happened this week a little bit better than I can with the ELO because I honestly wasn't paying any attention to the ELO system. I was always like, oh, I went to two armories this week and got six XP. Let's go top thousand. <laughs> so, so yeah, the ELO system broke, huh? Yeah, the they uh, announced with Fab 2.0 that they were going to include uh, Road to Nationals as part of their rated uh, tournaments. Uh, and I don't know if there was anything else that they included with that. I think it was just Road to Nationals that they were going to create as uh, rated. So they decided to retroactively apply uh, ELO based on uh, performance from the prior from every player's prior uh, Road to Nationals, right? Um, so what ended up happening is that the algorithm or their formula took a player's current ELO in history uh and applied the uh applied the prior uh road to national elo as though it just happened which uh would end up uh lowering someone's elo significantly if they performed really well but had a rough start in the early uh days playing the game and they are now really strong good players but if you go back and pull their records and they were you know going three, four, two, five, or whatever at a seven round event, uh, it's not going to look that great when you apply that ELO when they're normally doing a lot better. So uh, that was fixed. Luckily, that wasn't uh, yeah. too big of a... Too, they didn't last too long. People were complaining a lot. 
and uh, it was not intentional. It was a bug and or some sort of issue when they were coding, and it's been resolved. So everyone's had their ELO applied correctly, and uh, everything's back to normal, it seems. Yeah. Or uh, not normal, but uh, the correct number, because uh, now we have the ELO from the uh, new rated events applied. So some people should be happy with this and see their ELO climb a little bit. But uh, I'm sure it's not going to please everyone. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, maybe if you had a rough start before you put it together, you're still going to take a loss, although probably not as heavily as you would have with the uh, weird weighted system they were trying to put in. Right. Uh, which is weird because it hasn't updated my statistics here on my profile at all, uh, even though they went back and adjusted that. Because uh, I know they made the uh, Road to Nationals rated, I believed, unless uh, un- unless that was something they haven't fixed yet and all they have done was rolled it back. Um, but at the very least, they did roll back that uh, that thing they had changed. So... Oh, interesting. All right. Well, I'm glad they fixed it. There is and one, I guess. There, oh, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. Um, there's something that we did gloss over and I thought it would be important to talk about. And oh, that yeah, was the ahead. fact that history pack one did not include every. Oh, yeah. Every uh, card under the sun that would be printed from Welcome the Wraith to Crucible of War. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I also like completely forgot about this and I, um, I, I think like the most notable one, like I've been putting a rune blade deck together because I just, I can't be a prism main forever. Um, sometimes you just got to let it go. And I, uh, (laughs) I don't have any, uh, rattle bones. And so I was waiting to pick them up until after history pack one drop because I was planning on buying a box regardless. And I wanted to see if I grabbed any and, um, I didn't. And what's fascinating is um, Rattle Bones was probably the most expensive card that wasn't included in the reprints. But there's some other notable ones. It's it's kind of interesting. I don't know how they pick pick and chose these. Yeah, it was odd because they also merged uh, Super Rares and Majestics. Yeah. So for some reason, Crazy Brew is included. And uh, you can open that. So be happy I did. For, oh, gross. A majestic... <laughs> uh, white for white bordered uh, crazy bruise very very fun uh but they took out a lot of a lot of cards some of which you know won't be missed some of which will be missed i mean we're talking about like gaze the ages which is like a wizard staple that's not it yeah that insane that is a weird uh, one uh i mean remembrance just a staple generic card overall uh rattlebones predominantly was like the glue to like insanely wide you know, rune blade turns and that's a staple for those decks and they don't have it or they don't have it in the whiteboard set. So you're going to have to go and fetch a black border copy yeah. uh, ASAP. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Even Iron Song Determination, that's a fantastic card. Yeah, I um, Yeah, I got to imagine that for them to not, they also Bonehead Barrier was not included. And I've got to imagine that those two show up in the uh, Dory versus Reinar deck. Um, just because they're kind of, uh, not necessarily a unique effect for warrior, but, uh, it's a very unique effect for brute. And I think, uh, it'll be important for that to come up Mm. within the gameplay. So I'd imagine that's what ends up happening there. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't bet against it. Absolutely. Bonehead bear is a little bit of a weird one though. Not sure. I like seeing that in the deck, but. It could be there. Yeah. I don't know. It, it is weird, though. I wonder if at some point, though. Because they've been fairly open about everything. I wonder if at some point they'll explain to us why they left out certain cards. That seems like something they would do. Um, I guess I'm just used to wizards, like, you know, just leaving me to guess stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they kind of left us there hanging, hanging dry. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. All right. Well, I think that about does it for episode eight. Matt, do you have any final thoughts? Um, nothing, uh, nothing out of the ordinary here. Uh, we kind of covered it up. It's been a quiet week. Um, we kind of covered everything that we needed to. Um, yeah. 
the calm before the storm of New Jersey. Right. We have so much to talk about next week. Uh, we're definitely going to try to record uh, late Sunday, if possible, maybe Monday, so we can yeah. have all the tournament results in before we talk about it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, I can't wait. I know everybody listening is excited, and I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I hope it's awesome. I hope it's everything we ever dreamed of. And because this more. is a real make or break moment for the for the game, I think. Absolutely. I mean, this Pro Tour won, so uh, you know, it's gonna be pretty exciting. And I really want to see all the competitors do their best. And once more, luck good luck to all our uh, local players going out, you know, and hopefully none of us get paired against each other, fingers crossed. Because I know that has happened uh in the past. Just yeah, randomly right. showing up to these callings and there's like four hundred people playing, and you're like Oh, you just got matched against the same person in your locals. Nice. That's not fun. So hopefully we can avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all after the Pro Tour. See ya.